The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's weekly podcast. I'm John Howard, the editor of Capital Weekly. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And our special guest today is Tim Clark, uh, Donald Trump's guy in California, campaign guy. Not only California, we were saying, other states as well. The south, southwest United States. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess the first question is, your guy got elected. What happens now in California from your perspective? What's going on there? Well, so we all thought we would get to sleep in, right? But that's not the case at all. Uh, in California, we have a lot of thank yous, which we're, we're handing out. We had um, on our file over 300,000 people that had signed up to do something for Donald Trump in California. 300,000 people. Yeah. So we have uh, donors, we have volunteers, we have precinct walkers in, that went to other states, we have phone bankers. So we're, we're, we're handing out our thank yous, but we're also vetting resumes and getting those things back to transition. I think California will have a strong presence in this administration. Even though our vote didn't reflect a pro-Trump vote in our state, certainly our volunteers and our donors and our congressmen and other elected officials were very strong for Mr. Trump, and I think we'll see a lot of them uh, uh, offer positions. And I think you actually did really well in northern California, the far northern counties. You did quite well. Yeah, we did well up north. We did well in, in pockets, but we didn't lock a single precinct in California. And we didn't make a single phone call for California. We made a million and a half phone calls, but they all went into Florida and North Carolina and Michigan, Pennsylvania. Places like that. That's because California is overwhelmingly blue, or it, just strategically it's, didn't. It's overwhelmingly make blue. We could have worked hard and moved our state to within seven points, but that would have still been a loss. And and it was better to take our volunteer strength and focus it on battlegrounds, which we did effectively. In the phones, they cross state lines, and and a million and a half phone calls into those battleground states, much smaller states. You say a million and a half phone calls in California to Californians. Well, that's a dent, but it's not. Everything, but a million and a half phone calls in North Carolina is everything. So it makes a big, big difference. Now, now you're saying uh, 300,000 volunteers. How does that compare? You know, you've done other campaigns. How does that compare with other campaigns? Well, when I've been involved in statewide governor's races or other statewide races, if you had um, three or 4,000 donors on the file, you felt like you had something really good. If you had 1,000 active volunteers, you felt like you were really winning the race. So it's just off the charts good. How was that number recruited? How did you get them? Did they, were these walk-ins, or did you have recruiting drives, or state conventions? You know, so it's it's interesting. I was announced on April 1st as Trump's California guy, and the very next day, in my own personal inbox, I had a thousand emails. People found me before I even had a Donald Trump email address, and every day after that, I had at least a thousand, and what I found is that there were pockets of people that had been organizing for a year on their own, and they were holding signs up on street corners, and they were holding rallies and meetings, and they didn't know how to campaign, they just knew they wanted to campaign. So we organized all of them, and then uh, Mr. Trump gave us nine events before the primary, and each event had all these sign-ups, like in um, in Costa Mesa, we had over 30,000 people sign up to go see him in just one event alone, and we packed out the arena. And, and over the course of the campaign, other signups would come online and say, I want to do this or I want to do that. They would all tell us what it was. We would get back to them. We built a very vigorous infrastructure. In California, we had over 300 city captains for Trump in California. What is and a city captain? A city captain is, is a person who organizes their volunteers in their city. And we're not walking precincts, but what they're doing is they're funneling these folks into phone banks or they're putting them on the home phone system, Trump Talk. 
or they're getting them on social media. We had over 16 million impressions on social media out of our California force alone. And these are impressions that, that reach across into battleground states. These are impressions on websites you've got? Twitter and Facebook and emails from people to, to their friends out of state saying you've got to vote for Trump. Just tremendous reach on social media. You're 3,000 miles away from the headquarters for the transition. But do you have any perspective on what's going on in the transition? Any thoughts you can share? We're looking at it from the outside, obviously, and seeing things. But what thoughts can you share with us? Well, I, so I see it. I see what we all see in the newspaper. I, I, I hear some things on the phone, and I, and I can just tell you that I believe that the transition is being approached the way the campaign was approached. Very lean, very efficient, very goal-driven. And our campaign, we had 138 staffers. Hillary had over 800 staffers. But this was a, a, a lean operation where you were forced to focus on the essentials because you didn't have enough bandwidth to do anything other than that. So I'm sure that's what's happening in the transition right now. They've just broken it into different landing spots for different subject areas. That's very business-like. That's what a CEO would do. And I, and I guarantee you that Mr. Trump will be a very active CEO of this organization we call the federal government. And, and then they, they announced one segment of that, which was the national security team, uh, headed up by Jeff Sessions and others. So I, I anticipate we're going to see some more of that in the coming days. Uh, Mr. Trump's calendar is completely packed out with interviews right now. Uh, Specifically for transition? Specifically for, for transition, that's Potential right. appointments. Yeah, that's correct. And so um, we're, we're an all-hands-on-deck kind of operation. I expect to be back there starting next week to help out. And, and just sifting through resumes. Uh, resumes have been received through a website, uh, greatagain.gov, and that's been open and, and they've received thousands. I, that's a government calling. website, but that's a transition that's specifically? That's a transition government website, greatagain.gov. And so that's the first point that anybody needs to go to to, to get their name into the mix. Are you going to relocate uh, back in New York for a few weeks? Until this is done, then come on back to California. What's your own expectation? Well, my own expectation is to go to go to um, Washington uh -huh. and to help in the transition there. And once that's done, I'll come back out west. I've uh, on my plate is I've got to come back and get these three hundred thousand volunteers folded into the California Republican Party's operation and and help provide strength for the next steps for our own state here. I know that in four years, Mr. Trump would very much like to win our state, and and if to have that shot, we have to start reform now for that risk. Um, you mentioned uh, the game in California, the getting a ground game going in California for the state party. Uh, what uh, What's that entail? I mean, you'd be working obviously with the state chair, Jim Brill, you mentioned him before, and we know Jim had worked with him. Uh, but it just seems like such an uphill road here. I mean, given voter registration and what's happening. Independence on the rise, groups declining, Dems flatlining, actually. But, uh, Cal California is its own brand of, of, of voter, right? I mean, we, we elected the best governor money can't buy, and a few years later we threw him out of office in a recall. And I think that what the Trump effort brings to the California Republican Party is a group of fresh volunteers. These aren't folks that are worn out or tired from the ongoing battle. These are enthused, energized volunteers who just scored the biggest victory of their lifetime, right? A very historic win. A lot of enthusiasm. Uh, they know how to organize on the phones. They know how to organize in the precincts because we set all that up before we realized we weren't going to play out here. So, so they're ready to go. And they have a structure with Jim Brulte and the California Republican Party, which is probably one of the best-run parties in the country. So there's an infrastructure. Is the, um, 
is the goal of the State Republic? This is really a question for Jim, I guess, but also for you if you want to think about it. What are the chances of uh, the State Republican Republicans in the legislature getting more parity, coming closer to, we have a super majority now in the assembly, uh, one almost, I think one or two shy in the Senate. What do you see the long-term chances of Republicans getting more parity? I think, well, I think it's better. I, I think that we held the Senate this time around was a very good sign. It means the organization's running. We get a million to two million more Democratic voters that show up in a presidential year than a non-presidential year. So to, to make the the, the holding gains, I guess you could say, that we did this time was very good. I think we win back the seat that young Kim uh, just ran in. I think we played very competitively again in the seat that, uh, that David Hadley just just uh, ran in. And I think there's other opportunities, too. There are three or four democratically held congressional seats in our state uh -huh. that should be on the uh, RNC's top 20 list uh, for battlegrounds in 2018. And, and Speaking of battlegrounds, by the way, Daryl Issa hung on. Well, at least the last numbers I saw, he was head by about 4,000 votes. Uh, I thought he was going down, uh, but he hung on, and he hung on pretty, you know, substantially. And now he's, I guess he's claiming a conspiracy now. To, but aside from that, were you surprised by that at all, given not? I know that the demographics in his seat are changing. I, yeah. I think that any time a congressman like, like Congressman Issa has that type of election, it's a wake-up call to go back in and, and reinvest uh, yeah. even more in your, in your district. I expect to see that. And, and in 2018, he should be fine. If he's not picked up by the administration somewhere, he was, he was a very good friend to Donald Trump in this election, a very active voice, and, and I know that Mr. Trump knows that. Um, both parties in California are always out raising dollars. They have to. Republic For the Republicans, they're smaller and they have a more of a shoestring. Um, they need to raise money, especially it's critical for them. What are the fundraising potentials, do you think, for the for the state Republican Party after this, in the wake of this election? I think it was, does it affect it at all? Well, I mean? this is so. Chairman Brulte has had a tough task on a number of fronts. One of them being uh, re-energizing our donors and and helping our donors come to a point where they believe that we'll make the gains that we need to make. The fact that we held the Senate in the legislature should be very uh, energizing to our donor base because we had success in a in a large turnout election. We held our gain. We have a, a place where we can enact pro-business policies or at least block anti-business policies in the Senate side. So I think the fundraising will get a little bit easier and our donors out here in California are very focused on, on specific tasks. They know that we have to go back and win back those two assembly seats and they'll be energized by these by these congressional seats. And I think the way that this party is organized now and the growth we're about to have, we have a shot at one, maybe two statewides. Um, and Swearingen almost got one four years ago on very little money, and, and I think either between attorney general or controller or treasurer, one those seats that, that Republicans typically fare a little better in, if we feel the strong candidate, uh, our donors might get energized enough to bring that one across. There are lots of Democrats running around on statewide races. There are very few Republicans. You mentioned Ashley Swearingen. Kevin Falconer is one. I think he's already ruled out running for governor, but his name keeps popping up and popping up. So the Republican bench is an issue that political people tell me about. What's your take on the depth of the Republican bench uh, now or in the future? Can it basically be restored? Well, uh, let's, let's talk about the Republican bench. Mr. Trump showed us that the Republican bench isn't just elected officials. And I know that Peter Thiel's name has been uh, mentioned as a possible gubernatorial candidate of oh, wow. uh, somebody from the private sector. I, there are others from the private sector, too. 
whom we can uh, draw on uh, to run. Maybe there's somebody who will run for attorney general that's never held elective office but has had a good track record in, in, in the public safety arena um, in, in other ways. I think that we'll have our candidates. Uh, Jim Brulte's a good chair. He inspires confidence, and he's always had a good slate of candidates. He himself is not interested in running. I take it. At one point, I think he they tried to draft him, but I, you know, I don't know. You'd have to speak to him about sure. that. But he is he is a fantastic chairman, and and he's the answer for what has ailed our party. We're ready to go. We're competitive. We just made it through our first big test under his leadership, and and that was a defensive test. And now we have a chance to move out and and go on the offense. What was the hardest thing for you? Uh, things that you did in this past election as far as consulting or strategizing, what was the hardest thing, the most difficult thing for you in this election that you, that you came across? Maybe a problem you solved or maybe one that didn't quite get resolved. Well, the most difficult thing for me was seeing the press, the larger press corps, abdicate their role as the referee in an election and instead become a partisan, active partisan player. Now, we always knew that the New York Times was, was a little more left than right, but for the most part, a lot of the media sources generally acted as a referee and would call out what needed to be called out as truth or not. And in this case, it, it seemed like it was Trump versus the world. And, and um, you know, as a, as a consultant, as a strategist, you want a referee. You want an active referee, someone who is impartial and says, no, wait, that doesn't work, or yes, it does. And, and I what feel about, like uh, you know, I, the media got its fair share of criticism, um, and even more, some might argue. But uh, when the candidate, when Trump makes statements that are so flagrantly just outrageous uh, and all you do is report them and say what he said and even show the tape then it's not the media taking something and expanding it it's actually what he said I guess how you construe it is not, you know that's the issue but some of the stuff was just unreal well I, I saw some reporting where things that Mr. Trump said would be amplified and some of the things that Hillary said wouldn't be reported at all and, and you say well wait a minute what's good for one side is good for the other in my case there was one story that came out that said Tim Clark's not being paid by Donald Trump, and it was reported by Reuters and then went on Politico and then went national. And it was used to try and embarrass Mr. Trump that he's not paying his staff. And I called the reporter and said, what's up? Well, they, they looked up Tim Clark, but they didn't look up my company. And had they just simply searched on my company, they would have seen that I had been paid all along. What's, what's the full name of the company? Uh, Clark Strategy Group. Okay, Clark so Strategy it's just, Group. So it's just sloppy reporting, but it, was, it seemed to me a sloppy reporting for a purpose. They wanted to write that story, and, and so they didn't do the checks and balances. That, that was frustrating a little bit, because you felt like not only you're fighting against the Democrats, but really you're fighting against all of this other stuff, too. Did you get that response? Well, were you able to get a correction on that? Or, or? I never got a correction on it. Now, there were several stories, several, several uh, uh, inaccuracies about the California operation where we never received the courtesy of a correction from several major outlets. Well, and that sort of antagonism with the press was part and parcel of the whole Trump campaign. So, I mean, this, this goes right in with the whole message from Mr. Trump himself. Well, it, it became motivational to Trump voters. And, and, you know, I've said all along that the Republican Party nominated the most motivating candidate out of 16 and the Democrats nominated the least motivating candidate out of three or four, however many they had. But certainly, uh, Trump's base became more motivated over time as they saw this this usual referee, impartial referee, become one-sided. It's like watching a football game, and you know the referee threw the flag on purpose because they wanted to see the other side do well. And then you get you get more motivated when it's your team that's not benefiting. From Did that. you see that in California as well? Was that national you're talking about, or both? I saw it in California reporting, too. Um, if you had anything to do over from the campaign, and maybe not much since you guys won, you know, but uh, 
are there any things you'd like to do over, do it differently this time around, something you learned this time that you can apply to, say, 2020, if that's that we do this again? Well, so I came on 60 days before our primary. We had very little time to put together our delegation. We have 172 delegates and 169 alternates to the National Convention, the largest delegation in the country. That was nerve-wracking. We had about 10 days to find all these folks and, and to make sure they were extremely pro-Trump and that they could get back there, they could afford their travel, and they could afford the registration and everything else. It cost three to $5,000 to be a delegate to convention. Yeah. It just does. So if I had anything to do uh, over again, I would probably give myself a little more time because I think I aged about 10 years in that time. But we did send a 100% pro-Trump delegation to convention. And so when they, when the never-Trumpers started acting up on the Florida convention, it was California's delegation, the largest in the country, that would stand against it and say enough, and it would shut it down. You know, and actually, that, that brings up another thing. Right now, the electors are waiting to cast their votes on December 19th or whatever date. Yeah. And, you know, there's a movement I see floating around that they're trying to get them to change. Now, can you actually, what is the process? I don't think most people know. What is the process of deciding on the electors? Well, that's a good question. We submitted a list of electors for California, and, and actually the California Republican Party did, and there were people that you wanted to make sure were going to vote the way they needed to vote, and I'm sure the Democrats did the same. If that process is the same in every state, then the electors that have been submitted to Michigan and some of these other states are pro-Trump. Right. And, and so it's, I, I think it's a done deal, but you know, yeah. we'll see. I've also had... Uh, all the Trump people have been getting in their email inboxes these anonymous emails saying, I'll support Mr. Trump if he'll just have a referendum on his election a year from now. Say, so, oh, really? Okay. So yeah, there's all kinds of shenanigans going on. That must be from California. Yeah, referendum, well, that sounds like California. The yeah. fact is, this CEO is experienced at running large organizations, and by many metrics available to us about our organization called the U.S. government, it's broken. We have $20 trillion in debt. It has Obamacare, which is not working. We've spent all this money. We have very little to show for it. The metrics say it's time to fix our organization, and you have an accomplished CEO who's going to build an organization that knows how to do that. There's a lot of hope for our nation, for our children, I think, coming through the next four and eight years. Even though the other one got the popular vote, right? I think now by, what, about 1.2 million, 1.3 million. So it's not like he had a mandate. But he won the election. Well, it's California's providing that margin in the popular vote because we didn't campaign oh, okay. out here. Yeah. And and we, we didn't ask for any events out here. We knew that our role was to work on battleground states. But had we had Mr. Trump out here, I'm sure we could have pulled a lot closer and we could have probably won the popular vote. But in doing so, we would have lost the battle because we would have spent too much time in California and maybe we would have lost a Michigan or a Wisconsin or a Pennsylvania because of it. Well, thank you very much, Tim. Thank you very much for joining thank us. Thank you for having me. All that Thanks noise much. and all those bells and that clanging you heard in the background was three or four trolley cars and assorted baggage handlers and everybody else. We are at the uh, Ambrosia Cafe, which is our version of the Algonquin Roundtable. Even though it's... Tim, thanks again. Yes, thanks for having me. And another Tim, Tim Foster. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. And we'll see everyone, uh, well, we'll talk Indeed, to everyone we next week. See you next time around. Thank you. Hey, just like the pros do. Very cool. You